people will listen, Tommy. They'll find our podcast on Apple or Spotify. They'll subscribe and download it at as innocent as children longing for the past. Of course we won't mind if you listen, you'll say. Follow us on social media, too. At Pod. People will listen, Tommy. People will most definitely listen. Feel the dreams coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Zestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today that person is Tommy. Shame on you, Tommy. Like, feel the dreams too, man. Just another one. Just a a dagger right in the heart. All, all the sports movies, that's what we're finding out, is that uh, you don't know horror and I don't know sports movies. So that's what we're figuring out throughout this podcast. <laughs> yeah, next month it's just going to be you listing classic horror movie after classic horror movie. You really haven't seen this, Tim? What what the hell, man? <laughs> oh, yeah. Even though you're building our schedule now, we're still figuring it out. <laughs> it's like, come on, you haven't seen this one? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, listen, this is a great, this is a great end of the month stretch for baseball as well, collectively. Aaron Judge is on the Yankees. He has 60 home runs on the season. 61 will tie Roger Maris, which some people claim to be the home run record in a single season because everybody else that went on it was on steroids. You have the Mets and the Braves playing in a really tight division race. And if you've if you followed my personal Twitter account at Fire R Manfred and you're like, oh, like this guy has some good movie takes. I wonder if he tweets more about them. You'll be very pleasantly surprised at the fact that I exclusively tweet about the Mets pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on yeah, that account. You, you, our our, our uh, podcast Twitter is just where we get all of our uh, movie takes out and then everything else for our personal accounts, just whatever. <laughs> you, for you, it's just strictly baseball. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> it's strictly baseball. But, so. the Met, but Zendaya did say in what Spider-Man, whichever way home, that she really feels like the Mets are going to go all the way this year. And I happen to agree. I just, I happen to agree. It's the sign. So, Timmy, I have a real question for you, though. Uh, so, is your baseball tradition, we uh, did the Sandlot back in, what, April? Uh, is your tradition almost every year, opening season, you watch uh, Sandlot to get ready, and then you watch Field of Dreams at the end of the season, just to get in the mood for the end of the season? <laughs> Um, well, typically the Mets are usually out of it by the end of the season, just historically <laughs> speaking. So I'm usually yeah. a little less enfranchised with baseball as a whole yeah. uh, by that point, because they've usually pulled some really dumb <laughs> shit that just makes you want to pull your hair out. By September, you're like, uh, what are the Giants up to? Let's watch uh, football instead. <laughs> yeah, well, that's also that's another sad story that we don't really need to cover, although they've been OK. They've been OK to start the season. We'll, we'll see. They're not the Jets, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I don't watch football anymore. <laughs> Being a Jets fan just kind of just killed my spirit. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So this is Feel the Dreams. Extraordinary words for a movie that no words can capture. Newsweek calls Field of Dreams. 
becomes a magical and moving ride. So perfect it's like a miracle, says Roger Ebert. Are you a ghost? Kevin Costner scores again with a wonderful performance, says Pat Collins. And Gene Shalit calls Field of Dreams a masterwork of wonderment. Is this heaven? Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams, rated PG. Now playing in select areas starts tomorrow at theaters everywhere. So this is Field of Dreams. It's the movie that defined Kevin Costner as a baseball icon. It's the movie that made people realize Darth Vader is actually James Earl Jones. It's the movie that Major League Baseball tried to reap on its popularity a mere 35 years or so after its release, because MLB is a horribly run organization, and Rob Manfred is a gigantic hack fraud. Field of Dreams, everybody! Is this going to be like your fuck uh, our Manfield, Rob Manfield, whatever the fuck his name is? Rob Manfred <laughs> is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and if this wasn't a movie podcast and I went on my 40-minute tangent that I could easily, very easily go on, I could fix baseball and I could make it, I could increase revenues, I could grow the sport. Just derail the pod right there, just a 40-minute un- uninterrupted monologue where I try and get a word in and you just speak over me the whole time. You're like, no, Tommy, I'm not done here. Baseball still needs to be fixed. <laughs> well, when we were doing the Sandlot one, I started to go off of it, and I remember texting you when I was editing it, being like, yeah, I have to ch- ch- chop like three or four minutes of this off. Like, this is going too long, <laughs> and it ultimately has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, we're, we're learning how to talk about baseball more, or, uh, you know, get, getting yourself restrained a little bit more. <laughs> You're learning how to understand the fundamentals of the sport, and I'm learning how to <laughs> not take it completely off the rails. So, Tommy, what did you? So, are you aware that there is a Field of Dreams game now? I, I'm aware. Uh, I did read the Wikipedia uh, Wikipedia page for Field of Dreams, so it was right on there. They performed it what, like back in August, uh, most recently? Like, yeah. So they started it in two last year, and it was like an excellent game. You had the Yankees and the White Sox because they're trying to get the teams that were actually around in that era to play in it because they have the old uniforms they can make mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And last year's was at one of the best baseball games of the year. Like it, it peaked top viewership. It was awesome. And then this year it was the Cubs and the Reds. And both those teams are terrible. And the game stunk and nobody watched it and nobody cared. It feels like one of those things they're going to try to do it every year and realize, oh, it was really special that one time. But every time you try to do it here and after less and less so well i know i know that kevin costner came out for the game last year like the first one mm-hmm. did he come out this year or is he just like ah, i'm good <laughs> no well you, you you can't do it with him every year uh this year they had ken griffey senior and junior and they had like a bunch of dads and sons oh and yeah actors throwing first it, it, it wasn't as cool as the kevin costner like that clip was awesome of him standing in the field and he just like looks out into the cornfield and then all the players walk out that was awesome that was that was really awesome but not to get derailed down baseball avenue (laughs) tommy what was your first impressions of field of dreams my first impressions was i can't stop crying right now um so uh this movie is a really sentimental movie but in the best ways i mean it really tugs on the heartstrings but it feels very earnest in that sense and it's very character driven in that uh, moment you know, there's two reasons why I never saw this movie. One, I was never interested in baseball. And two, I'm not going to go deep into this, but as someone who's lost their father, this movie is not exactly the first movie that came to my mind about let me watch a GoFund movie about a, a guy getting over his dead dad. So 
you know, right in there. I was like, ah, but overall, I like this movie a lot. And, uh, you know, I've seen this twice now in the past month and, you know, still hits those emotional beats and they still work. And this movie's great. Was any of it spoiled for you going in, like specifically the ending? Because I know that's been pop culture. Well, yeah, just... that's that's the one thing I knew about this movie. I knew that it was just the end of the movie featured Kevin Costner throwing cat, uh, playing catch of his dad. And that was why I probably for the past six or seven years, I've avoided this movie. because I was like, I don't need to see that right now. <laughs> yeah, that would not be. Yeah, that could be. A, it's a tough scene to watch but it's so beautiful it's so poignant yeah uh, it's hard so, i just finished watching it for the however many time because this was on for me on repeat mm-hmm. as a kid mm-hmm. and uh, you know i've seen it a couple times as an adult always hits this is the next iteration of it and man you're tearing up at the end of the movie without question there's there's no there's no shot you're not uh the first time i watched this movie was last month um at our friend's house uh him and his uh basement and you know we were a couple of beers deep wherever and we're watching the movie and our friend he's also uh lost his father too unfortunately so we're watching the end of the movie and it's just us just i'm trying my best not to weep but we both can't help it we're just fucking just weeping our fucking eyes out we're just fucking just full-on sobbing and everything and then today i made the smart decision to watch this movie at work which could have gone disastrously long because you don't want to watch a movie that makes you cry at work because then your boss is going to be like why are your eyes so red? <laughs> so thankfully, I was able to hold myself back during the final scene because at this time I knew it was coming. I knew what the moment was going to be like. So I was like, "You're not going to cry, Tommy, right now. You're not going to cry. You tried your best, and you know, I didn't get there." So <laughs> I mean, when he's like, when you know, because he calls him John the entire time, and mm. he just goes, "Dad, yeah, can we have a a catch? Like how? Like were you doing everything in your power in that moment to just not <laughs> be like?" Not yeah it's just allergies it's it's turning into fall exactly it's 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 like so glad that my first watch of this movie wasn't at work because then i would have just been like oh my god <laughs> they kind of have my own <laughs> you would have been saw you would have shut the door shut the blinds on your office yeah. just being like <laughs> just like i'm gonna go for a walk <laughs> so uh there's two movies that made me cry at work uh and both are documentaries and one i'm embarrassed to admit because this happened last week uh the first what was one the documentary the first one, which uh, was a Roger Ebert documentary I watched last year, and it really goes into the last like days of Roger Ebert's uh, life, and it's really sad. And the second one was King a Kevin... No, it's even more embarrassing than that. Uh, last week, I watched a Kevin Smith documentary, <laughs> and when it goes into his heart attack, I started fucking like bawling my eyes out, and I literally had to get up and be like, I have to go for a walk. <laughs> I, I know he had the heart attack, and if you're a Kevin yeah. Smith fan, that's that's tough. How was Clerks 3? Um, Clerks 3, speaking of crying, I mean, that movie is probably the least the least comedic of all the Clerks movies, but it was the most emotional, where it really hit the emotional beats in a way that, like, I never expected to get choked up during a Clerks movie, but here I was in the theater again, choked up over a Clerks movie. So, I mean, if you like Kevin Smith, go see it. If you don't like Kevin Smith, this won't change thing, anything. So... <laughs> um- probably check it out when it gets back at home um the the first thing i want to mention because this was just huge to me on this rewatch was james horner doing Mm -hmm. the score and just creating that ghostly Mm -hmm. otherworldly feeling that built suspense that nice melodramatic piano the it's almost like Every time the piano kicked in, like you want it just tugging your heartstrings. It was just almost like after a deeply emotional line or something like, oh, like James L. Jones saying this is, 
you know, your penance forever, or like, you know, other lines mm-hmm. like that, where it's just like, uh, and even when he says we want to play catch dad, like right after that, you hear the piano tunes, and it's just like, oh god, movie, please. <laughs> um, also, when he drops off um, Terrence Mann, and he turns the car around, and he's just standing in the lights, and then the, mm-hmm. dun, 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 dun. I was like, yes, yes, like the the score yeah. was giving me goosebumps it's- as well. It's powerful as hell, even in the beginning of the movie, the opening of the movie, which is like the title card of him going through his life and talking about his dad. Even when watching it today, like it got me emotional just hearing the score right there in the in the beginning opening scene. It's just really powerful music. And it's, you know, it's shocking that this didn't win best uh, best original score. It lost to the little Little Mermaid, but I mean the Little Mermaid in terms of like songs are great, but I can't remember the score of that movie. Yeah, but the, the- the Little Mermaid, from what I remember, was kind of like Disney's big return after mm-hmm. like a really messy eighties. Yeah. So I think that's probably part of it, because if it, this is a movie that revolves around nostalgia mm-hmm. and you know issues with your father, does Disney does? I guess there's probably people with Disney issues with their father, but I imagine for a lot of Academy voters, Disney probably hit home for them at some point in their life. For the score, so, the s- score totally makes sense. I, like they lost to Disney there, for Little Mermaid. Um, this lost Best Picture though to Driving Miss Daisy, and woof. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Driving Miss Davy- Daisy was very much the Oscar bait at the time. But mm-hmm. I, I did want to mention because the movie does revolve around the relationship with the father and the catch, and it's it's very interesting to hear what Ray says to Terrence Mann when they're driving home. They pitch up, pick up. Archie Graham, uh, it's it's really nice to get an understanding of why he, he lost touch with his father. You know, it's funny the way he described towns, you know, finding you a job so that you could play on their team. They haven't done that for years. My dad did that for a while, but that was in the 20s. What happened to your father? He never made it as a ball player, so he tried to get his son to make it for him. By the time I was 10, playing baseball got to be like eating vegetables or taking out the garbage. So when I was 14, I started to refuse. you believe that? American boy refusing to have a catch with his father? Why 14? That's when I read The Boat Rocker by Terrence Mann. Oh, God. Never played catch with him again. You see, that's the kind of crap people always try to lay on me. I'm, it's not my fault you wouldn't play catch with I'm, your father. I know. Anyway, when I was 17, I packed my things, said something awful, and left. After a while, I wanted to come home, but I didn't know how. Made it back to the funeral. There's a follow-up sequence after where... Terrence tells Ray that this is his penance, mm-hmm. that he is doing this specifically for to make up for the sins of not finding closure with his father before he passed. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a really powerful moment, and it, it kind of draws the heartstrings of the movie because it's such a wacky movie, kind of. Not kind of, it is a wacky movie. Like, all you need to do to fully engross yourself in Field of Dreams is you have to believe at the beginning. That's all you need. Yeah. When you first hear, if you build it, he will come and you buy in, you're gonna have a great time. If you're like the brother that doesn't see 
that doesn't believe, you're going to be like, why are you building a baseball field into a cornfield in Iowa? What's great about the movie is that they don't really take the time to like over explain what's happening here. You know, you could have seen like a terrible version of this movie where there's like a five minute scene where like Shush Joe Jackson explains like, oh, yeah, we came down from heaven and God told us like we can do this. But no, we don't need that explanation right there. We just this is happening. And, and you know, this is uh, it's really just a conduit to him to open up and you know deal with the fact that he never got um never got closure of his father it really just hits the emotional beats right there in that scene with james earl jones and it just really just drives home the message of this film yeah and this movie's funnier than i think people give it credit for it's it's a drama it's not a comedy but Mm -hmm. it has like those nice moments of levity like when he first meets james earl jones Mm -hmm. and he's he puts the finger gun in his pocket being like all right you're coming with me and he's like what's that there he's like that's your finger in your in your pocket he's like no it's a gun and he's like well i'm gonna take this crowbar and i'm gonna beat you within an inch of your pole in yeah. hope of your life what's really funny about james Earl jones this movie is that in the novel that this is based on this is based on a novel called uh shoeless joe by author wp kinsella and in the novel terrence mann was actually jd salinger the guy who wrote catcher in the rye and you know the famous author of the 20th century and uh, his lawyers, James, Rod- um, not James, Rod- J.D. Sounders lawyers said uh, they would be very unhappy if the story were to be transferred to other media because he was deeply offended by his portrayal in the book. So they quickly came up with the character of Terrence Mann instead to take it. But you can see the kind of points because J.D. Sounders knows a recluse author right here. And you can kind of see like little parallels right there. And even James Earl Jones bases performance off the famous author. <laughs> Yeah, and you just change it into a 60s, um, you know, author who wrote about the turbulent times, wrote about pacifism. That's all you needed to do, because like what Terrence Mann wrote about isn't really the point of the movie. The point of the movie is that Terrence Mann lost something that when the Dodgers left Brooklyn and moved Mm -hmm. to Los Angeles, he lost a part Mm -hmm. of his dream. And that's Mm -hmm. why he's included on this ride with Ray and ultimately goes with him when he walks into the cornfield. He tells Ray finally that 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 interview you you read, I I actually did do it. And mm-hmm. Ray's so mad at him. He's like, "What do you mean you lied to me?" He's like, "Well, you were trying to take me hostage. You had a finger in your pocket as a gun." He's like, <laughs> "All right, that's fair. That's fair." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, James Earl Jones just gives a great like uh, commanding performance right there. I mean, the, the type of thing we always see from him. So. It's always great to see him pop up. And it's funny how, you know, the connections between this and Sandlot, where he shows up in Sandlot, Art LaFer shows up in Sandlot. It's just like, if you have a great baseball movie, apparently you need these two actors. <laughs> well, Ke- Kevin Costner is also a great baseball actor. And I want to share with you a little bit of gossip. Okay. <laughs> that's most likely not true. Yeah, so get it out there right there. (laughs) Getting it out of the way, but it's a very famous conspiracy theory in baseball. So Kevin Costner had a long-term friendship with Cal Ripken Jr. If you Mm -hmm. don't know who Cal Ripken Jr. is, he was the shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Hall of Famer. But his big record that he broke was he broke Lou Gehrig's Ironman streak at uh what was it 2461 consecutive games played Mm. now there's 162 games in a baseball season 
So that's it's a lot of games. And he set the record in 1998. It was 2,632 games. Sorry. I knew it was 26 something. Yeah, we, we need the exact stats here, Tommy. <laughs> no, I, I know you're a big statistics guy, Tommy. And <laughs> the year before that, in 1997, the Baltimore Orioles had to cancel a game out of the blue, like a couple of hours before game time because of power issues. And the rumor is that Kevin Costner was staying at Cal Ripken Jr.'s house and had an affair with his wife. And either Costner or Ripken either physically or emotionally couldn't play the next day because of the confrontation he had with Costner because Ripken then ended up going through a divorce. Now, of course, both both men have said, oh, of course, that's not what happened. But it's very <laughs> odd that, like, you don't hear of a baseball game being canceled because of a power outage. And it was obviously just to protect Cal Ripken's streak. But Can that, you imagine? That's the gossip. There, There's a great video on um, SB Nation. I think they're secret base now, how they kept the streak alive and if this was part of it. Because... When something that suspicious happens and it's very clearly just to preserve a record, it makes you wonder what actually happened because he played the next game. It wasn't like he was injured long term. Very clearly yeah. something happened. Yeah, well, um, how far away is he from like reaching the Iron Man streak at that point? Um, uh, I mean... Probably within 100 to 200 games, like very close. Yeah. <laughs> you can only imagine if like, you know, if he got like fucking like uh, a cold or something like that randomly or uh or just very sick or just like come on what the fuck <laughs> yeah no i mean i think he what would like lou gehrig famously played with the flu like lou gehrig played until he got diagnosed with lou, lou gehrig's disease yeah when he like couldn't <laughs> play anymore that was the first time he stopped his streak so cal so there's people that question whether cal's streak was legitimate but put it this way he played in either 162 or 161, depending on how many games they played, from 1983 to 1998. Damn. <laughs> Which so I don't know if you're yeah. aware, Tommy. That's actually a lot of baseball games. That's that's a lot of baseball games. But I feel like if any sport to do uh, do a streak like that, baseball would probably be the easiest of the major four. What are you talking about? You have to play every day. Well, well, think about this way. If like football or basketball or like fucking hockey, you can get hit like very, 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 very fucking hard. Those are more contact sports than baseball is. <laughs> Tommy, you can get hit in the head with a 95 mile per hour fastball. Yeah. Yeah. But the, like, what are the chances of that happening compared to like fucking football? If you get tackled or whatever, you're like you get fucked up right there. It happens a lot. And, you you know, it's very easy because baseball is a game of grace and serenity. <laughs> and it's no, it is. I, it's a very yeah, graceful. Yeah. It's a very graceful sport. No, but guys get and guys get. No, but like guys. I got. I got, I got on a tangent. Guys will pull their hamstring just running to first base. Like the nobody's even close in the games played category. Like it. It's Garrig and Cal Ripken and nobody else. It is yeah. a like you're saying like oh yeah nobody's gonna hit 2600 games in one of those sports because they don't play the number of games in baseball. But most guys tend to have to take three to four games off at least a season, if not 10 or so, just because of the nicks and bruises of the season, because it's it's relentless. It's 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 played every day. Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, I got you on the baseball tangent. Right there. I, I got I you get, on the rant. I get that baseball <laughs> can I get that baseball is not as physical as other sports, but it does happen. 
just no. saying there's just as many ways to get injured in baseball. Yeah, you had, as you there, had to get that out there. <laughs> as there is in any other sport. It just doesn't look as gruesome. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll, I'll give you that baseball. I guess you can get injured in baseball too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> to finish your, your right there. So uh, this is a preview of Tim's uh, spinoff uh, baseball podcast. That's going to happen someday. <laughs> Don't tempt Wait. me with a good time, Tom. <laughs> so. So we should talk about the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So back to field dreams, uh, you know, a movie about baseball, so baseball itself. So this is a question I wanted to ask you, Timmy. Is Amy Madigan the most supportive wife of all of film history? <laughs> she has to be up there. She is just <laughs> right. a true ride or die. Yeah, true seriously. Ride or die. There's like uh, there's almost like one point where she's briefly like, oh, come on, like you shouldn't go to Boston. This is getting ridiculous. And she's like, I had a dream about that too. And it's like, I'm gonna pack your bag. Fuck it, I'm in. <laughs> there's there's no point where like, you know, you can almost see the point of the movie where like, you know, we don't need that, but of like the wife being like come on you really gotta focus on the farm right here and then just be like all right (laughs) i think the movie the movie needs the wife to kind of be in on it because like it's building towards the suspense of his father i think that's that's the other really good thing like the first time you see it like you know there's something that happens with the father but you don't know what but it's not like dragged out throughout the entire movie like when ray is constantly asked like who is he doing this for what is it for he thinks it's for shoeless Joe Jackson. He doesn't think it's he doesn't get the connection that it's going to end up being his father at the end. And it makes for like a really nice emotional surprise because he's just as surprised as the audience is when that moment happens. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, just having I Amy mean, in there, I mean, she was amazing in this movie. Um, I love that one little scene she had in um, the PTA meeting where we're talking about oh, over the book burnings and being like, oh, you're just a fucking like Nazi over here. She was just very charismatic as like a wife character. And like, it could have been an easily thankless role, but she was probably one of the most memorable and stand-up parts of the movie. Yeah, she was ready to throw hands with the with the Karen that was calling for all these books to be burnt. Yeah. So it, it was a great little exposition dump of explaining who like Terrence Mann was. But at the same point, you also got a character moment of, you know, just showing like the values of the wife of like how like, you know, she's really like committed to this and she's just like, you know about follow your dreams and stuff like that (laughs) very committed very emotional very um driven i love the line where she's like i don't think you really lived the 60s i think you got two 50s and made it to the 70s and ray's just sitting there like doodling on his book like like (laughs) eases pain like trying to figure it out and he's like it's terrence man you, you gotta figure that's like what the typical like pta meeting is that she's just like getting a fight into like the random canon of the week and then just uh, Kevin Costner's in his own little world. It's like not fucking paying attention at all. Just week after week where it's like, oh, honey, who did you call a Nazi this week? I forget. <laughs> yeah, I bet that happens more and more now than we probably realize. Uh, God, yeah, that was one one thing I wrote down uh, in my notes of this where I was like, it, it sucks that book burnings are still a thing that we have to deal with all the time. <laughs> There's always going to be some Karen out there that cares too much about something. Well, what can you do about that? Except talk more about Field of Dreams, obviously. There is yeah. a very, very, very famous monologue mm-hmm. that I want to share with all of you. Because it's the people will come monologue. And it rocks so hard. <laughs> Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door, 
as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they'd dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. Eva will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. So I just love that scene. It just, it describes baseball perfectly. It, it is eternal. And no matter how much things change, it's there. It's being played pretty much the same way as it's always been played. I'm not getting down another baseball rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, as you go into another five-hour podcast about the rule changes of baseball over the last uh, 120 years. <laughs> don't don't tempt me with a good time. But <laughs> Ray Liotta plays Shoeless Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. one of the famous members of the 1919 White Sox. Tommy, what do you know of the 1919 White Sox? Uh, so the first time I think I was in, uh, introduced to the concept of them was in The Great Gatsby, the one from uh, 10 years ago, the Baz Lurchman one. <laughs> so, so you you were introduced to the concept of them? They were a real as, team. No, as, as, in, as in like I, I was aware of the hit. I was made aware of the history because of a fucking Baz Lurchman movie. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> There you go. Again, we're just showing how much I don't know about baseball. This is what this podcast is about. Well, speaking of Baz Luhrmann, did you know that fat Tom Hanks managed Elvis 60 years ago? So, um, actually, Tom Hanks was originally considered for uh, the role of Ray here. He would have been so, great. He would have been He would have been just as good. He Yeah, he could have easily hit this just as well as Kevin Costner did. So, that's my great way of segueing back to the film. But uh, the Chicago White Sox, I mean... What they like fixed the game, uh, the World Series because of uh, the owners weren't really paying them that well, and mm-hmm. uh, they were all banned from the sport, all eight of them. And then I saw you're probably gonna love this part. I saw that Rob Manfield apparently looked at this back in like 2015. Manfred, so he, Man, Manfred, sorry, <laughs> okay. uh, he looked he looked at this back in 2015. It was still just like ah, I still would have banned them. <laughs> mm. No, I mean, listen, they deserve to be banned. It's yeah, especially with gambling becoming a bigger component in pro sports like you have to it has to be taken serious yeah the one thing is with shoeless joe jackson was that that guy couldn't read he couldn't write all he knew how to do was 
was hit and play baseball. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the conspiracy about it too is that Shoeless Joe didn't really know what he was signing up for, and like he played really well in that World Series anyway. Mm-hmm. But when the news came out, it created a lot of mistrust into baseball itself. The popularity diminished very quickly in the early 1920s. That's mm-hmm. when Mountain Landis became commissioner. And the rise of Babe Ruth is actually really what saved the sport because he was such like a doll with the paparazzi in the media. And he yeah. played up into it and played into the act that it it's, really helped grow the sport. It's really kind of tragic what happened to like Shoeless Joe Jackson because, um, you know, this is right in the, the first thing in the trivia field of dreams right here where, um, you know, he makes a joke in the movie about Ty Cobb being like, uh, none of us can stand the son of a bitch when he's alive, so we told him to stick it. But in real life, they were actually really close friends. And apparently in Jackson's later life, he ran a liquor store in South Carolina and Cobb stopped there to buy a bourbon. During the sale, Jackson made no sign of recognition to Cobb until Cobb finally said, for God's sakes, Joe, don't you remember me? And Jackson somebody replied, well, sure. I remember you, Ty. I just didn't think anyone wanted to remember me anymore. So yeah, it was just a man that was just broken by this one thing that he did like 20, 30 years ago. You know? Yeah, it. It definitely broke him. I mean, there's rumors that he tried to get back into baseball under various different names. The one accuracy they didn't get right is that Shoeless Joe Jackson was kind of notorious for not being a good looking guy. And then you have like very young Ray Liotta with like his piercing blue eyes <laughs> playing playing him. He does a great job. It's it's like it's a spiritual performance. So it's just very like he plays that mm-hmm. like whimsicality into the performance, which mm-hmm. I think worked. Like it really enhances the performance because they're real, but they're ghosts. Like it's so unclear what they are. Well, wasn't um, what's it called? Um, Show Show Jackson also like from the South or something? Wasn't he like a Southern guy and not like Ray Liotta and his like Brooklyn accent or whatever? <laughs> yeah, he was from Greensville, South Carolina. He probably would have also thrown a lot more slurs around, but. Yeah, it's obviously, a, obviously, that, we don't need that, to... that that I'm not worried about. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to get, have an exact 100% historical re- representation because this movie, I mean, like we said, they don't explain it for all we know. This could just be Kevin Costner having a dream about his father. Yeah, and that's kind of the beauty of it. And mm-hmm. that's like the beauty of the adventure is that he's going on this adventure and you're almost thinking it's like to justify the creation of the cornfield. Mm-hmm. But as we've kind of been saying, it's ultimately to reconnect and bury the hatchet with his father i really think this movie is one of the greatest baseball movies ever made um tommy how many baseball movies have you seen oh fuck you're putting me on the spot right here uh so sandlot and this sandlot on this i know i don't know if i've seen all the way through but i've seen at least like parts of angels in the outfield because they used to play in elementary school a lot I've seen parts of Moneyball, but not all the way through. Um, oh, uh, oh, yeah. So, so oh. you, basically, this is just Timmy just like trying to like pitch like feature baseball movies we're going to cover on the pod because I haven't seen any of them. Oh, uh, we got Bull Durham to look forward to. The yeah. Natural Eight the natural, Man never Out. Seen that. Never saw Eight Man Out. Um, I never saw Ed. You know, I don't think we're going to cover that one though. We're not going to cover the Chimpanzee one. I always got to reference that. We're talking about baseball movies. <laughs> you speak for yourself. Uh, this fucking, is a Matt. This is a Matt LeBlanc podcast. Well, I mean, I can't watch any chimpanzee movies after watching Nope because I'm scared of fucking chimpanzees now. Thanks, Jordan Peele. <laughs> yeah, really? You dang bat. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. Like, you know, I'm a horror movie buff, but that scene for some reason in Nope, I mean, I won't get into spoilers, but a chimpanzee attacks people. 
And for some reason, I had to sleep with lights on that night. And like for like another night too. For some reason, it wasn't like fucking Freddy Cougar killing people or Chucky or like whatever random slashers I watch. It was the goddamn chimpanzee going to a haywire. And that was what triggered me. Yeah, you so. watch a lot. You watch a lot of crap, Tommy. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't know. I, That's a whole other tangent. So, whole other tangent. I am a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. So, Tommy, who is the star of this movie? Because I think there's three fantastic performances. You have Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. You have. James Earl Jones and you have Amy Madigan who really carry this movie like raise the driving force but Annie is is the heart and the soul and the spunk of the relationship and James Earl Jones is a man that had lost any like any reason to live really outside of just working his days and doing what he needs to do to just get through the next day Hmm. like I loved when they were in the bar and they were interviewing and when they went to Minnesota for Archie Moonlight Graham and he goes to the bar and he's interviewing people and getting like all these little tidbits about the doctor and like you just see like the light smile on his face and he's just like yeah I wouldn't know that and it, I, like just him becoming reindoctrinated with human beings and realizing that there there is more than just being a, re- a recluse yeah, I think that James Earl Jones has a lot of the more emotional beats. Um, but if I had to pick like the star, I mean, it's Kevin Costner. I mean, when people think about this movie, they think of the catch in the end of the movie. You know, hey, dad, you want to play catch? You know, that's what breaks your heart and, you know, in the heartwarming way. He really carries this movie because a lot of this movie is just him like driving around Boston or whatever. There's some parts of that. And it's still just very compelling. You're still wanting to watch it. You know, you're not really bored by him just building the field or like staying on the field realizing there's like someone whispering to him so he really sells it he really but by this guy is really just you know believing everything that's happening and i also i love those scenes when he's in boston and he's asking the guy who's unloading the truck being like you know he's actually one of a friend of mine he's like yeah if he was that good of a friend he is he'd probably given you the actual address he's like huh yeah you're right and he ends up just paying yeah. The, the kid over there for the like one of the mechanics for the address uh, great yeah. I, the, this rewatch made me realize how it, this movie really blends its humors together like it has just enough moments of levity to not make it so stern and like dour yeah because it is such a light-hearted concept like this mm. guy builds a baseball field in iowa and yet you don't expect your heart to completely melt What's well, like? It. What's like last week when we were talking about the perks of being a wallflower? How they had no levity really whatsoever. And to, for this movie, I mean, you know, there's still plenty of moments of humor. I mean, even the daughter, who I didn't think was the best actress, I mean, she has some lines that make you laugh. What shocked me about the kid actor is that she did you watch the Winning Time, the Lakers show that came out yeah. on HBO? She was in that. She was like one of the main characters. She was uh, Claire Rothman, John C. Rye's like head accountant essentially. Oh, real? Oh, shit, that was her. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't so that. it's it's crazy because you think with kid actors sometimes we're like you know obviously they're not the best actors and um I remember the kid from Jerry Maguire recently had an interview where he said he had to go to acting classes when he became an adult because he didn't really he realized he sucked as an actor, <laughs> but you know sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't and for this uh, person what's her name um, Gabby Hoffman I mean she now is a great actress 
I'm I'm glad for her. Yeah, she was fantastic in winning time. And yeah, I mean Ray Liotta's also great. Uh Burt Lancaster as Archie Moonlight Graham. Like, how could you not love Doc Moonlight? Oh, uh, God. That one line that one line he says where it's just like I thought there'd be other days, but it turns out that, that was the last day. That just really hit me this time. Where it's just like, oh God, that's that's just, you know. <laughs> and when Ray's pleading with him to come and he's like, you know, I can offer you your dream like i have it here and he's like it's a tragedy that you never got to fulfill it he goes no the real tragedy would have been me not being a doctor that would have been the real tragedy Mm -hmm. of my life and then you see that come to fruition when karen's choking on the hot dog and you have the that's so good when he runs to the the lot the etching of the line and like he realizes once you make this crossover there's no going back and you see steps one leg the other leg and now he's old man he's old man graham and it was just oh so good yeah. and you see uh what's his name mark who he was good he was a nice little comedy of just being like ray you gotta sell the farm there's a timmy timothy busfield being like you gotta sell the farm ray you really need that one character that was just like not on kevin Costner's bullshit because i mean it's good that Amy Madigan wasn't that character, but I did like that they appreciated one guy to be like, "Come on, you're fucking, you're crazy here. What are you doing here? Why are you trying to like uh, build a baseball field here? Come on." <laughs> if if Amy Madigan wasn't on his side, like they would have gotten divorced. It would have <laughs> like, been a very very different movie. She's like, "I'm taking the kids to mom to my mom's or something like that," and like it just a depressing ass movie where Kevin Costner like has to win back his family by showing, "No, I'm not crazy." I mean. You're, you're gonna hate me for saying this but I, I when i was watching this today i was like you could you could see like the youtube re-edit of like this being a horror movie or something like that where he goes crazy because of like the if you build it they'll come <laughs> you get next month you get you get all of next month get your crap out of here Tom. hey 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 this this is a very good gateway into october because this is about ghosts so spooky season is coming spooky yeah. seasons spooky seasons near, it's right around the corner <laughs> i mean it's definitely already sprung for you but it's it's coming around for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, Tommy. Not everyone else is obsessed. So, <laughs> but yeah. So also, I was reading here that they don't know who exactly the voice is mm-hmm. in the field, and in the credits, they just said like the voice as himself. <laughs> so the the rumors are that. Some people believe that it's either Costner or Leota, but the book's author, W.P. Kinsella, says he was told that it was Ed Harris, who was Amy Madigan's husband. I don't know if they're still married, but he was. Yeah, they are. They are. Oh, that's that's nice. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Also, teenage Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were extras in the Fenway scene. So uh, the director right here, I don't think we really mentioned him, uh, director and screenwriter. Phil and uh Phil Alden Robinson. He also directed the Sum of All Fears. And apparently when Affleck first like went to the set, he's like, Hey, it's nice to work with you again. He's like, What are you talking about? He's like, I was an extra in uh Field of Dreams. <laughs> That's pretty funny that he was just yeah. like so he's obviously not gonna remember some teenage extra being like looking like he just looks at him like it actually kind of fits with the theme of the movie too. Like you just hear the piano, like he looks at Damon and Affleck being like <laughs> I think they're going to do something Yeah, no, that moment didn't happen in real life. Um, but it's it's just funny that all these little connections just kind of find their way 
into this movie mm-hmm. and and Alden Robinson does a, a good job in this movie it, it it's so story driven and it's so emotional that he's able to cultivate it I don't think he does anything incredible with like the cinematography or the filmmaking in and of itself i don't the think... only real shot that i think is like really great from cinematography standpoint is the end scene where it just pans out so yeah, i mean and you see all the cars lining up that's, that's yeah a... apparently that was 1500 cars they uh had extras from the like uh, wherever they filmed in iowa to like go and like literally 1500 people went out and uh just like so long just to get at that that makes sense and i I yeah, you know, like that ending with this with the sun setting too, like it's so beautiful. But mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything that screams like he should have been best director or anything like that. I just think no. it's such a tight script and yeah. it's such a so emotional. And he was able to bring all of that out effectively mm-hmm. that he did his job and it didn't need any kind of creative filmmaking to make the movie stand out in yeah. any other kind of way. I think the highlights here were like the script and the performances and obviously the score, which we touched on. So, I mean, directing is not really, you know, this isn't going to be your greatest director ever. <laughs> no, it did not need to have like a Kubrick behind it. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Tommy, would Field of Dreams work as a Muppet adaptation? I I, I can't imagine like a Muppet tearjerker. <laughs> so like what, like Kermit at the end or like, who is Kermit's like kid or something like that? Remember? Oh yeah, he's like a junior or something like that. Like, no, it, it would be Kermit, and then you just have to have like Waldorf be the dad, right? Like, <laughs> well, no, Wal- Waldorf would be like the doctor probably, or um, I, I, I can even see like James Earl, uh, being the James Earl Jones character. Well, no, like, James Earl Rick Jones was... is the human. Okay, yeah, keep James Earl Jones. Kevin Costner's obviously Kermit. Miss Piggy. Annie. Couldn't really, couldn't really. I couldn't imagine Miss Piggy being Amy Mannigan because Miss Piggy would be like, "Kermit, you're a fucking idiot." <laughs> oh, sorry. She's acting it out. She'd be like, "Oh, Kermit, I have Kermit. the same dream." Kermit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the end of the scene is just Walter off and Kermit. Just, hey, Dad, you want? Hey, Dad, you want to? You want to play catch? <laughs> yeah, just mocking him completely as they throw the balls, and then uh, you could have you could have Fozzie be Mark uh, as uh, Annie's brother. Just being like, I am Waka Waka. You got to sell the farm. <laughs> Come on, kid. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, 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 think it would work, okay. but I kind of want to see Muppets play baseball. I'm thinking of like Pepe the Prawn as uh, the brother character. <laughs> that could work. That would work too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I probably. Overall, would, no. Overall, <laughs> no. Me being curious and wanting to see Muppets, watching marionettes figure out how to make Muppets play baseball. Yes, 100%. Review time, Tommy. Give okay. me a score out of five. So, um, I've seen this movie now twice in the past month. Um, this movie obviously hits the emotional beats very well. Um, the performances are all great. Uh, like we said before, directing really wasn't like really a standout, but it didn't really detract from the movie overall. And that final scene, I mean, if you don't cry at the end of that final scene, then you don't have a heart. So, I'm going to give this 4.5 out of 5. So, this is a really great movie, really great emotional movie. And even if you're not a fan of baseball like I am, you're still going to find a lot of stuff to love with this movie. I'm going to echo your sentiments here. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. It's one of the greatest baseball movies ever made. It's so respectful of the game's past, and it's it, and the, the people-will-come speech just perfectly illustrates the, the beauty of the game and why it's been around for now 150-some-odd years. 
it's been a part of American life for so long, and I have a very hard time seeing it go away. That's the end of the baseball stuff. The performances are fantastic. The score is so haunting and deep, and it's just, it's rich, and it just, it hits the notes at the right time, exactly where you want to hear them. And the screenplay is just, it's so tight, and it's just, all you need to do is believe, and you're going to be hooked on Field of Dreams. 4.5 out of 5. All right, Tommy, any final thoughts? All right. Uh, so thank you guys all for listening. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Pod. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Leave us five-star reviews on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, next month, or next uh, next month is Spooktober, um, October, horror movies galore. Timmy would probably prefer if we did a, what, 10-hour podcast on Ken Burns' baseball. <laughs> but... Uh... Um, have you ever seen Ken Burns's baseball? <laughs> I have not, so that is on the table, but uh, you know, not for October, unfortunately. Can, so, I, to- uh, can I torture you? <laughs> make you watch ten hours of Ken Burns baseball? Ten, is is that how long it is? Is like a, a twelve I, hour? Like <laughs> I think well, it's broken up into like ten episodes or something like that. <laughs> that just becomes like a whole month or two of us just like covering each uh, different hour of Ken Burns baseball. And <laughs> don't tempt me with a good time here, Tommy. I've watched that multiple times. I love that documentary. All right. Well, eventually I'll get to it. So, but uh, next month uh, we're going to be covering a bunch of good horror movies. Uh, I think next week we're going to be covering what? Hocus Pocus is the first one. I think schedule to be determined, but it's Hocus Pocus is one of them as a t- quick little teaser. Yeah. So <laughs> get ready. Get ready. So. Spooky seasons around the corner. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.